Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, all righty. It is Wednesday. Welcome back to Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. I am Ryan Mitchell. And Shira Lazar is out. But guess what? Sharjah Stell is here with me all week. Yes, middle of the week, hump day. We saw Shira last night. We should mention that. I told her I was going to talk crap about her on the radio today. <laughs> What was Shira doing last night? She was supposed to be leading a conversation in diversity, equity, and inclusion at the Soho House, but it ended up turning basically into a happy hour. Yeah. Um, Now, why is that funny that she was leading that? Because it's hilarious. (laughs) We love Shira Lazar here at Channel Q, but let me tell you something. Each and every chance I get to tease that girl, we have a very unique friendship. Well, yeah. It was nice those to see her. Those are the best her. type of friendships where you can like have those moments. She was of very humor. excited. She didn't. She wasn't expecting me, so I was in the restroom washing my hands when she entered to use the restroom. Yeah. Oh, she didn't think you were coming. No, she wasn't expecting to see me. But she, I was like, Shira, just go to the restroom, baby. <laughs> like you dancing and talking to me in front of a stall. We can talk outside. Like I'm on my way out. And no, I'm not talking to you through the door. Oh my god. Because I've done that before. Well, <laughs> can I just say it's a countdown to the for me and my first international trip ever. I'm very yes, excited. how are you feeling? I'm very nervous. Um, I'm just like going out of the country. I You'll find out when I'm back where I'm going. Um, but I am just really, really nervous. And my mom has been freaking out the, with the fact that I'm going. Um, not only because she just wants me to send her every single detail of where I'm going to be at, but also... Um, you know, it, are you gonna get her a keychain or scoop up some I'm, sand I'm and gonna, put it in a little? I might scoop up a little, like a little test tube of the the, uh-huh. the, the water yes. specifically. She gonna be so like, she gonna be like, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> She'd have a field day with that. No, and, and she's actually doing a lot of uh, amazing things too. So I'm just, I'm very, very excited to be going on my first international trip. It's baby's first trip. Uh, it's so wild. But we have such a wonderful show for you today. We're talking some really amazing news. Producer Shelby, I want to say hello to you too. Hello. Yes, you better have that mic near Ooh. and clear yeah. and quickly right there by you. I'm just so happy. How have you loved uh, being on the show so far? It's great, and today specifically planning the show, I really feel like I'm I'm getting into it now, and I feel like a, a part of the show now. So yes, good. day three, day yeah. three, come on! Well, I'm very happy to hear it. Producer Shelby's going to be here on the mic with us all day, so stick around for that. But today we're talking about the, of course, the outcome of the primary elections. There are some takeaways that Democrats can learn that, honestly, Republicans probably learned, and us just as political voters could yeah. have learned. So. 
we'll be diving into that. And then, of course, how breastfeeding is playing a part in the formula shortage um, and, and how we should really be rethinking the ways that we view breastfeeding. That is and more is coming up later this hour specifically. But let's talk top of the hour headlines before we get into a little tea report. Are we ready? Oh, yeah. All right. Let's change some music. So, uh, California's uh, primary election day is finally, well, it was finally here yesterday. But despite weeks of TV ads and voter pamphlets in the mail, early voter turnout has been low for this election. So far, voter turnout for the 2022 primary election has been disappointing both in person and for vote by mail. LA County uh, primary elections tend to have fewer voters overall. So the low numbers this year aren't too surprising, according to uh, USC political science professor. Um, but here is President Biden and on what he had to say about, obviously, Tuesday's primaries. Here's what he had to say. I think the voters sent a clear message last night. Both parties have to step up and do something about crime as well as gun violence. And I sent, as you recall, with the first major bill we passed, we gave the states and localities billions of dollars. Billions of dollars to have and encourage them to use it to hire police officers and reform the police department. Very few have done it. All right, well, we're going to dive in more, of course, like I said earlier, about what, you know, what we should be taking away. Honestly, I am really interested in seeing what our political strategist has to say about last night's primaries because yeah. results are here. Should we be worried? That's we just my it first seems question. Like, it seems like people are not incentivized, and that scares me. Yeah, it does. It really actually does. All right, so let's talk about Brett Kavanaugh, which is a man that I thought I would not have to talk about, Ugh. but... Um, a California man carrying at least one weapon near Brett Kavanaugh, uh, Kavanaugh's Maryland home has been taken into custody by police after telling officers he wanted to kill the Supreme Court justice. Now, people familiar with the investigation said the initial evidence indicates that the man was angry about the leaked draft of an opinion by the Supreme Court signaling, signaling, oh my God, signaling, signaling. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know that Senegalese. word. You know, Senegalese. <laughs> um, basically, he, he was also very angry over a recent spat of mass shootings as well. So, so I, I wonder, when I was reading yeah. this story, I was talking this over with producer Shelby. I said, I wonder if this guy's a martyr. Like, if this was intentional. Like know. he wasn't actually planning on inflicting but harm. He just on wanted to have but he the wanted press to shake moment. it up because now Republicans are forced to have to discuss gun reform. Yeah, but now Mitch McConnell, following this whole situation, tweeted that this morning's disturbing reports are exactly why the Senate uni- unanimously passed a Supreme Court security bill weeks ago. But House Democrats have inexplicably. Oh my god! Inexplicably. <laughs> Please. Go ahead. Today is just not the day. But we said the word. Say it again. inexplicably. Thank you. Blocked it. (laughs) Democrats need to stop their blockade and pass the uncontroversial bill today. Um, He is receiving massive pushback for this, considering his lack of action following the recent shootings. You know, I mean, can we call him a hypocrite or not? I just keep thinking about this. My grandma used to say, ain't no fun when the rabbit got the gun. <laughs> I have no clue what that means. It speaks to, it could, it could be linked to oppressive systems. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, think yeah. Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny. Yes. Ain't no fun when the rabbit got the gun. <laughs> okay, let me switch over. I know you had a request for a certain song, right? Yes. For your tea report. In honor of, a, of the grand closing of an iconic <laughs> TV talk show, which, you know, oh, 
It's supposed to be happening next Friday. I thought it was this Friday, but uh, this will be the last Friday that they're in studio. I'm just going to launch into my tea report, though, for time's sake. All right, let's do it, though. Oh, my gosh. I scre- The scream that I scrumped when I saw this headline this morning. <laughs> you did what? The scream that I scrumped. <laughs> Nick Cannon is about to be a father once again. Oh, are you kidding me? I burned sage this morning once again. Is that man okay? He's not. He's, what is he's, happening? He really isn't. He really isn't. Um, and this time, the, the baby mama, which I hate using that term, but the child's mother is named Abby De La Rosa because you know he likes a particular type. <laughs> And uh, you know, you know. sources closer to familiar with the situation have reported to TMZ that it's a little Libra baby. Now, uh, it's due October 25th. We don't need more of those. Now, just last year, these t- Abby and Nick welcomed twins together. I thought he said he was about to get a vasectomy. He like he was no done having the children. This is a problem. So I think. Is it like a, a sex addiction, you think? It'll be a very busy Father's Day coming up in two weeks. Disgusting. And I think this He's is, never going to be able to see all of his I kids. I know. I hate that. That people keep talking about how much money he has, and but but dismissing the lack of emotional support that he'll be able to offer yeah. these children. So, and I know Mo- so Monrockin and Monroe are pissed about that inheritance. I mean, they have mommy. I know. Well, they have to. Div- they have to literally divide it but in they so have many mommy. ways. Yeah, They're true. mommy's only kids. True. But, but still. But yeah. So that's Nick's. I think this will be Nick's ninth child. Ninth, yeah, and the second baby mama. What in a cheaper by the dozen movie? He's circling the block. It's not even as good as the new one. He's circling the block because this is. He already has kids with this woman. Oh, so. he does? He has twins. They had twins last year. Maybe it's by accident. Maybe he's just like having no. sex with them and just... I, You know what I what, what kind of grinds my gears? I know we have to go, yeah. but with cishet people who do this, I'm like, does, do y'all think that, that STIs and STDs don't exist in y'all community oh, or something? It worries me that babies are the number one concern when it comes to unprotected sex. And I don't want to sound like Tipper Gore or Nancy Reagan. But sound like it. Sound the alarm. I'm just, it's kind of odd to me that he's just that all of these babies are being being produced. I want to stay politically correct. So let's go. That's the tea report for this hour. You want to stick around? I got more coming for you next hour. All right. Well, let's dive into this show. It's time to get this party started. Next up, we are talking about the major takeaways of yesterday's primaries. Don't go anywhere. More show coming up after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So the United States held its biggest primary night of 2022 and by volume, at least on Tuesday, with voters in seven states nominating candidates for November. We had California, Iowa, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, and South Dakota. But California was the uh, the one that everyone was watching. These results are taking a little bit longer to come in as well uh, as, you know, as some other results in some other races. But we really need to talk about what we know about the early takeaways from the races that we that have happened and what we're seeing. So we had to bring in, um, you know, a new Channel Q fave. He is now he we guest hosted together. Um, he's a political analyst, Ryan Basham. Thanks for being back on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay, so, you know, primaries, really interesting. I feel like um, it. we just reported earlier that this, in California at least, it was the lowest turnout so far when it came to early voter turnout. What, lower than projected. Like, lower than projected. So what? what is your thoughts around hearing something like that, especially when it connected to the results that we're seeing so far? I think the reality is that, you know, 
people are now inundated with political news in a way that's probably really exhausting. I mean, the last few years have been really hard to keep up with for most people. I mean, I live this, I eat, sleep and breathe this stuff every day. And it, you know, it it can be exhausting for me sometimes. I also think um, there's something about getting people motivated to get out to the ballot box. You know, most Americans are not really aware that Roe v. Wade is about to go down, for instance. And so when that does happen, you may find that there is a surge in midterm election turnout in the fall, um, because, you know, compared to previous cycles for that reason. So there are a lot of social science things that go into turnout. But I do think at the end of the day, you know, it, it's easy for people to check out and they do unless they have a really, really compelling reason not to. Yeah, I'm wondering, like you just mentioned about how most Americans are might not be privy to what's going on. I, it always baffles me how people can move about the world and not care or a, not a bubble. know about what's going on. Yeah. I'm wondering, yeah. in your opinion, because I'm seeing that <laughs> it was so low that only 7% of 18 to 34-year-olds turned out, only 11% mm-hmm. of uh, within the age bracket of 35 to 49, and 65-plus, which are our senior ci- citizens, 40%. So they held the biggest weight of vo- voter turnout in these primaries. What do you think it's going to take? Because I'm a little fearful, fearful that Californians are getting comfortable much like in a 2016 way when everyone just knew hillary was gonna win child so we not gonna vote there's nowhere <laughs> no way donald trump's gonna win do you feel like we're getting complacent and how can we incentivize people to get up and vote yeah we're absolutely getting complacent i mean you know the the trend of young people turning out the least is not new um you know our our politics are so dictated by the oldest people in our country in part because they are the most reliable voters. So there's not a ton of incentive for elected officials to be responsive to what young people want, because young people don't bother to show up and vote. And not just in presidential elections, but in midterm elections and special elections and primaries, young people just don't show up. So, you know, then this attitude of, you know, it doesn't really matter what I do. The government is effed up either way. And, you know, nobody's really looking out for my interests anyway. I mean, we those are kind of I th- to me, lazy ways to write off being responsible for be- participating in your democracy. I understand where it comes from, of course, because sometimes even I feel that way. But mm-hmm. the reality is it takes it's one. It's a person to person, one by one. Each of us who actually cares about what's going on needs to encourage someone else to get to care about what's going on. Um, and then in a larger sense, I think, you know, uh, young people have not demonstrated that when we spend energy and effort to get them out to the ballot box that that they'll actually do it so i think we have to keep trying things until we find something that gets young people more engaged yeah and we just don't know what that is yet okay so i'm happy that we discussed voters but let's move on to talking about some of the trends that we saw and specifically i mean the fact that rick caruso karen bass this mayoral run is it's so close. It's so close. What are some of the trends that we were we saw this primaries that came came up for you in this moment uh, right now? Well, I think um, you know Rick Caruso surging to about the first place. <laughs> um, although it's a runoff situation, so if nobody reaches fifty percent, there's a runoff anyway. So that's what'll happen. But you know he spent um, more than twenty three million dollars on this race and went from being you know probably a, a, a wealthy people socialite, but unknown to everybody else to um, getting endorsements from people like Gwyneth Paltrow and buying, you know, tons of billboard ads and commercials and stuff. And mm-hmm. that money in politics thing is real. That's how he got to surging mm-hmm. near the top of the, of the, uh, of the vote. Now, 
you know, the reality is there are tons of people in a place like Los Angeles who run in the primary and then all those votes for the people who didn't get the top two, you know, reallocate. And then some people vote in the general that didn't vote in the primary. So we just don't know necessarily what this means for the general, except that it's going to be between a wealthy uh, real estate developer and uh, a former nurse who is, you know, known for being a really effective advocate for the people she represents and uh, getting things done. So, you know, I'd like to think that people are going to vote for the person who is, you know, the better candidate on paper. Yeah. But sometimes people just vote for somebody who's an outsider. Well, sometimes people just vote for somebody because they're rich. And people vote <laughs> because, you know, of popularity. What I will say is Caruso's campaign harassed me. I can I go like to it. I can go to my mailbox without some junk mail from him. I can turn on yeah. my TV without seeing a political ad from him. So he really did shell out the money for Paltrow and Snoop Dogg and Kim Kardashian. Oh, God. Which is yeah. so... I, for me, that's clear red so, flags. But I'm thinking really quickly as we wrap up here, because the GOP, I think everyone is wondering what the Trump update is. Does Trump still kind of have a hold over the G- GOP? Is he still this kingmaker in this way? It, was it mixed here? Are we seeing, you know, maybe his hold is kind of over? He's now becoming a thing of the past? Uh, I can't say that he's becoming a thing of the past, but he's certainly got a mixed record at best. You know, I think there are other factors in a, in each given race, you know, like the DA in San Francisco, you know, being recalled. That might have been a Trump thing, but it was probably more like a feelings about crime thing. So each race has stuff like that. But overall, I think Trump is a factor. Um, but you can't count on him to be the kingmaker in every race. And I think, as, I hope, anyway, as time goes on, he becomes less and less important and effective. All right. That was political analyst uh, Ryan Basham. Thank you so much for being on the show. And, you know, you'll he'll be back on Channel Q at some point. Yes. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, coming up next, we have to talk about this baby formula shortage. And why we are talking about breastfeeding is not the actual solution you think it is. Coming up, don't go anywhere. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, in the midst of the baby formula shortage, according to our next guest, the last thing you should be telling parents is to try best uh, breastfeeding as a solution. Why, you might ask? Well, joining us to break this down is Alyssa Rosenberg. Uh, she's an opinion columnist at the Washington Post. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so in your article, you said the suggestion is not only cruel to bring up, but it's not true. What did you mean by that? So, you know, there has been this suggestion that breastfeeding is like a magical solution to the formula crisis, which would be lovely if it were true, but it's not. Um, I think that breastfeeding in general is sold to mothers is something that is natural and is just going to happen for you. And for a lot of people, it does, but it doesn't happen for everybody. It, you may not know this, but whether or not you can produce enough milk to feed your baby depends on whether or not you have enough of the specialized kind of tissue in your breast. Not everyone can make enough milk to keep up with a baby's needs, even if they can make milk at all. Um, and if you've stopped breastfeeding, you generally can't just start again. There's theoretically a process called relactation that involves like crazy meds that aren't really licensed in the U.S. But, you know, if you have been feeding your baby a formula for months, you can't just breastfeed your baby. Um, And the sort of secondary argument that people make is like, oh, it's free. And breastfeeding isn't free. Um, It's only free if a mother's time is worth absolutely nothing, as my colleague Monica Hess has written. But also, just I mean, the amount of stuff that you need to be like reasonably comfortable and supported while breastfeeding is also not free. 
And so the idea that, you know, you can start breastfeeding if you stopped, that you can, that everyone can breastfeed, which they can't, and then that breastfeeding is free and easy, all of these things are untrue. It's just, it is not a viable solution to a, you know, corporate and policy disaster. Yeah. And I know that there's even further nuances, even with babies latching onto the nipple, you know, and, and getting that process started. So what are some of the misconceptions when it comes to breastfeeding and how should we as society shift, help shift those misconceptions? Um, look, I think people have, look, breastfeeding is heavily promoted to women in the United States. And for a lot of people, it works. The breastfeeding initiation rate is something like 84%. So it's not as if people don't need encouragement to breastfeed. But I think people, first off, have no idea what the time commitment is like. I remember with my first child, there was one night when she just wanted to eat for five hours in a row. I'm not kidding. Five hours in a row. And I had no idea that was possible. I thought that meant that there was something wrong with me. Instead, it's actually a process called cluster feeding that's incredibly common. Mm. But, you know especially in the early days of babyhood, if you're going to nurse a baby, you may spend five, six, seven hours a day doing it. Um, and so I think sort of leveling with parents about what the experience of breastfeeding is really going to be like can help people prepare so they don't freak out as soon as something's wrong um, or stop because they're just completely overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, but, but much more broadly, I think there needs to be, if breastfeeding is an important public health goal, which the people who promote it say it is, there needs to be vastly more support um, for you know, anyone who is breastfeeding, whether that means paid parental leave so people have time to establish a breastfeeding yeah. relationship. Not, not just you know, minimally adequate, but comfortable spaces for pumping at work, because most American mothers do have to return to work. And you know, a culture in offices that supports women in doing this. Because again, like breastfeeding, Pumping can take a lot longer than a 15 or 20 minute coffee break. And people actually need to be given the time that it needs to support that. To do what they do. And so, you know, we talk about breastfeeding as if it's the alpha and omega of what women can do for their children. But none of the public policy or corporate policy around breastfeeding actually supports that. Yeah, and it was so interesting. Uh, your piece was so detailed. You actually used an app to track every minute you spent nursing and pumping over the first six months. And I, I thought it was so interesting because you actually came up with a number of how much you ended up spending to make that happen at the end of six months. How much was it to give our audience a, a clue into this? Um, so I don't have the calculator right in front of me, but I spent 486 hours nursing or pumping in the first six months of my son's life. And from what I've heard from a lot of other folks, that's on the low end. And so if you put in the median salary for um, an American woman, like multiply that, the hourly rate that that breaks down to by those hours, that's more than $11,000 uh, if, if breastfeeding and pumping were paid work. So thinking yeah. about it in those terms, this is a tremendously valuable thing that women are doing for their kids. It's a gift. I'm not saying anyone should actually be paid to do it. But if you want to think about what that gift is worth, maybe we should provide some commensurate support for the time that women are putting into their kids. You're so right. And I was able to pull up the numbers. You said supply cost was $1,339. The time spent was 486 hours and time cost $11,460. That is absolutely insane, especially in the middle of an inflation that is going on. It's just, it's not sustainable. It's just not happening. And look, it's, I mean, 
for me, breastfeeding has been wonderful. It's something I'm really happy and fortunate to be able to do for my kids. My office has nice, appropriately set up lactation rooms. I have bosses who are completely supportive, but most people do not have that. And what I have should be the norm, so every woman who wants to breastfeed can. But also, we need to get out of the business of shaming women who make other choices because they need to or, frankly, because they want to. You're so right. And also, I think this is not even just a, a, this should be an inclusive conversation as well, because even if you don't identify as a cisgender woman, that you still need the same rights as everyone in this type of conversation. So, Alyssa Rosenberg, thank you so much for, one, writing this piece. I felt like it was so powerful. You are incredible. Thank you for fitting us into your schedule. Thank you for being on the show. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. (laughs) Of course. That was opinion columnist at The Washington Post, Alyssa Rosenberg. If you want to check out that piece, please do. It was so and so incredible. So, up next, what major company executive was accused of watching VR porn in office? We are switching things up over here on Let's Go There. More coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Please, what is happening to men? Because Microsoft's virtual reality chief, Alex Kipman, has resigned from his role at the company days after reports surfaced that he had watched quote, VR porn in front of workers and engage in other forms of misconduct toward female employees. The allegations were not mentioned in the resignation email, but what is happening here? And I don't I hope he wasn't trying to use it as an excuse of being like, well, we have to try all ways of using Please. the VR system. Please. <laughs> What I will say is nothing has happened. This is a tale as old as time as far as I'm concerned. Oh I my just, gosh. I cannot understand for the life of me why these people continue to put their livelihoods and their professional reputations on the line. You can't wait till you get home. Like, I just, I don't understand this. He certainly well, deserved to be fired. What happened to that guy that masturbated with right yes, with Zoom? on accident. On, on accident. I think people were willing to give him grace because we were in the pandemic. But that I'm is, just, I, which is still wild to me. He was literally masturbating while, while on while, on a call. Yeah. Like, what is he doing? I thought you were kink affirmative. What if he had? What I if, mean, if that he if, has a public play kink he, or something, if he explained that, you don't kink shame like never, I do. But he never said that. He did. He just was like, maybe "Oh, I didn't in, know." Maybe he's embarrassed because people like me will catch wind of it and drag. If him. he would explain that, then I would have been like, "Okay, well, no, I would have, I would have wrong time, him. wrong place." But no, maybe while you're on the phone with customer service, do that. Disgusting. <laughs> Um, I just, especially, you know, aside from like your professional reputation and your livelihood, it's just something about being in a post Me Too world that some of these headlines, it's almost as if 2017 never even happened to begin with. And I just thought that we were getting a bit more decorum and and a bit more workplace um, ethics that were in place. And it seems like it's back to the 19, like 1982 up in here. No, but like, don't, let's not forget, Microsoft has kind of been in the center of stuff like this. Claims of executive misconduct at Microsoft have reached as high as co-founder Bill Gates. So Microsoft Child. might just need, I mean, who's using a Microsoft anyway? That is so gross. Like, I'm not, I'm not. Actually, Microsoft uh, uh, software is triggering to me. It takes me back to the 90s. <laughs> 
I don't want to see that Windows icon. I don't want to hear that chime. It takes me back to a dark time when computers were very slow. Like, imagine us using Internet Explorer in 2022. That is disgusting. Or Firefox. Oh, my God. No, thank you. What else did we use to... Netscape was... Wait, What's was, Netscape? Wait, Netscape was with the music, right? LimeWire. No, Netscape was with music, but there was another one with the Internet that was... With, like, Net the little something. fox... Well, that was Firefox. No, there's no, no, no. There's a. It was a net, but he was like a fox. The their a logo was a fox with headphones on. Isn't that Firefox? <laughs> Child, I don't know. All I gotta say is I'm glad for this man. But you know what also kind of irritates me about this is he'll likely fail up. Oh my god! Because it's an ecosystem. He'll lose his job here and undo- and undoubtedly be hired somewhere else. No, I mean Scott Guthrie, who's the head of Microsoft's uh, cloud and our official intelligence division. He revealed um, Alex's resignation, but literally just said, "We have mutually decided that this is the right time for him to leave the company to pursue other opportunities." Which is wild. Wild the fact that to he me. even had the agency to mutually decide anything. He should have been fired on the spot. Are you kidding me? What do you think? Let us know at LGT Show everywhere. I mean, be careful when you go and grab those VR systems. Maybe not do that at work. Walmart or wherever you maybe, get them. Maybe do that in the privacy of your own home. <laughs> why do it at work? And why are you then bringing other people into Why are you ah. subjecting your subordinates to this material and then on top of that harassing female employees? All How right. dare you? Well, I'm done talking about this because now we have to talk about someone else who's literally losing it. Up next, they are back at it again. What did Ezra Miller do now. Well, it's coming up in the Jail. team report and our headlines up next. Don't go anywhere. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're back. It's another hour down and we are really enjoying today's show. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. I have Shar Jocel with me here. Or as some people say, Jocel. Please. <laughs> Please. I was just teasing Shira last night at her event saying Shira. <laughs> some people say Shira for Shira. Yeah, because you, when you did uh, the Morning Beat, y'all interviewed someone named Shira, right? Sh- yeah, we did. But yeah. I know a Shira. That is no shade to that person named Shira. That just sounds awful. Yeah, her name's Shira. Well, um, we have a ton coming up this hour. We're actually making it all about health this hour. We will have a Washington Post reporter on to discuss long COVID and what effects it is actually having on people and the ways that we discuss disability. Super, super important. Well, then Dr. James Simmons is joining us to discuss a new study showing a massive step forward in cancer treatment. So much coming up here. I feel like uh, we're in our Grey's Anatomy bag. I love yeah. that. I miss yeah. it. You know? Call, um, call me Dr. Sharjasel. <laughs> Miranda Bailey sister. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who won't swindle you out of money. Oh, my God. Actually, you would be like, uh, because, you know, now she has a daughter. Spoiler alert, if you're not watching it. She has a daughter. And uh, you would be like, the daughter grown up in the flash. I can be the daughter, not with a father like that. <laughs> Please! <laughs> Shout out to JB from the Eve show. <laughs> Shelly's boyfriend, you know, from back in the day. That is hilarious. Did you all watch Eve's sitcom? I most definitely did. About uh, It was called Eve, but the character's name was not Eve. And who sang the theme song? Missy Elliott. Okay, you, okay, you did watch. Okay. Period. Okay, Mr. Mina, go ahead. <laughs> Okay, so let's get into uh, top of the hour news. What's happening right now? So Matthew McConaughey is finally speaking up. On Monday, he um, published an op-ed on the Austin American statesman to address the difference between control and responsibility in reference to gun reform. Well, he was actually at the White House speaking about this because if you did not know, um, he actually is um, a Uvalde, Texas native. Here he is speaking to the White House press about um, gun reform. 
Maitei wore green high-top converse with a heart she had hand-drawn on the right toe because they represented her love of nature. Camilla's got these shoes. Can you show these shoes, please? Wore these every day. Green converse with a heart on the right toe. These are the same green converse on her feet that turned out to be the only clear evidence that could identify her after the shooting. How about that? So he also said, I also believe we have a cultural obligation to take steps forward, slowing down the senseless killing of our children. Yeah. Um, he where's, got, where's Mitch McConnell for this? I mean, no, seriously. Um, Mitch, well, not Mitch. McConaughey also has been meeting with lawmakers on Capitol Hill, um, and including uh, Senator Dick Durbin, uh, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, I think it's very great that he's taking action. It did take him a little, what? a little while to say something. I wonder if that was because of the emotion that he was feeling. Who, but, Matthew? Yeah, because yeah. he was. I mean, he's. I mean, imagine a native. La- imagine Laverne, Tennessee, something devastating like like I imagine that. Yeah. It would. Yeah. And for some reason, this is unrelated. Actually, Every time I hear Dick Durbin's name, I think of NASCAR. Is there, a, is there a driver that has a similar it name? It does give NASCAR driver. Every time I hear Dick Durbin, <laughs> I think of NASCAR. Or like an Adam Sandler movie like where he's he playing be, yes, Dick Durbin. Or, or one of those Ron, um, <laughs> what's, the, what's the guy with the red hair? Will Ferrell movies. Yes, like yes, a, yes. You know. Sorry, I, that's just where my mind went. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about uh, D.C. lawmakers. They are passing a bill that would ban firing employees for failed marijuana tests. Oh, my God, I have a funny story about this. If approved by Mayor Muriel Bowser, the Cannabis Employment uh, Protections Amendment Act of 2022 would also ban employers from firing or refusing to hire an employee because of their recreation or medical marijuana use. However, there are exceptions. It does not cover um, people working in safety-sensitive occupations such as police, security guards, construction workers, and those who operate heavy machinery or healthcare workers. The bill also states that employees will be in val- uh, violation of use, sale, or display of marijuana um, that occurs at the workplace. So, when I first got, like, it was, like, my third job out here, I <laughs> I had, like, you know, we live in California. I partake in a little bit, a little something there, you know, right? Um, but literally didn't realize that they were going to ask me to take a drug test. And I was just honest with the HR person. I literally was like, so I live in California because they were based in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. I was like, I live in California, and, you know, this happens. And I, 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 I took a little puff puffs, and so it may be in my system. I was drinking, like, gallons of water leading up to our test. I would have been like, I am so sorry. And they, were, they were fine. They actually ended up hiring me. <laughs> this is why I need to be in HR. it came out negative. It came out negative after drinking, you know, just a little In another life, life, I'm in HR. <laughs> I think I'd be great in that field. Right. Of course you do. Of course you do. All right. Let's head over to um, our um, uh, tea report. I'll be very quick because I know that we're tight on time. So Ezra Miller, who has been getting on my damn nerves for quite some time now, you know, because they have been showing signs of abuse a a lot lately. It's been intense. I don't know. There's a lot of mental health situations that are going in. I don't know whether to feel really sad for them or feel like, oh, my God, get it together. Well, check this out. According to new legal docs obtained by TMZ, Dakota Iron Eyes, who's a Native American girl, met a then 23-year-old Ezra Miller in 2016 when she was just 12 years old. Oh. Okay. Wow, okay. 
And the actor was visiting. He was visiting. They were visiting Standing Rock Reservation in North Dakota. From there, Dakota's parents said that Ezra developed a quote unquote friendship. They believe that put Dakota at risk. Uh, they started traveling together. Like literally, th- this girl was 14 and Ezra was 25 at the time that this started. This is, is it raising red flags for anyone? Oh, of course it is. Are as, you kidding me? As their friendship continued, Dakota's parents claimed that Ezra supplied their underage daughter with alcohol, marijuana, and LSD. And I'm wondering why Ezra has not been fired from the DC superhero films. Why they're continuing to stand by them? I mean, them. they're all stopping. I mean, The Flash hasn't been filming forever at well, this point. Well, really quickly, let me get this out. Uh, Dakota schooling, she was they, she was at a school in Massachusetts, and Miller interrupted it so much that Dakota ended up dropping out in December 2021. The parents then flew to Miller's Vermont home in January to get their daughter and discovered that she didn't have a driver's license, car keys, bank card, or any other items needed to navigate life independently. They said they also found bruises on Dakota's body, which they allege Ezra called, caused, excuse me, put them in the jail, under the jail. I'm sick of it. All right. Does that make me not sound compassionate? No, I think it's, I think a lot of people feel that way. Head over to wearechannelq.com though to find out more details on that story specifically, but let's keep the party going because that is your tea report and you'll have more coming up next Uh hour, right? Okay, so uh, coming up next, we have a Washington uh, Washington Post reporter on to discuss long COVID and how it has created a mass disabling event. What are people doing to embrace their new disabilities? Well, we'll, we're going to find out coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, according to our next guest, COVID-19 has created a mass disabling event with millions of people suffering from long COVID. Now, how are these people pushing back against historic marginalization and finding ways to embrace their new disabilities? Well, joining us is Francis Steed Stellars from The Washington Post. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Now, I guess to get an understanding of what uh, some of these people are dealing with, can you break down how these new disabilities have changed lives? Like, what are people dealing with here? There's an enormous range. There are something like 200 symptoms associated with long COVID in one way. So I think we're going to end up learning in time to come that there's an enormous variety um, in the kinds of problems people are managing. Um, On the more extreme end, there are people who are dealing with internal tremors and actually symptoms that look very much like traumatic brain injury, incredibly uh, disabling uh, jerky movements with their limbs. On the other end, um, fatigue, which is common with people who are just recovering from viruses, but seems to be particularly persistent. And in between, there is an enormous range of combinations of these problems, um, varieties. We don't know all the answers yet, but this is a group and the government um, estimates say that between 7 and 23 million people are after having had COVID, complaining of long-term symptoms. And this happens at a time when the disability community, the disability movement, was really anyway taking on the notion of a a sort of big tent. Um, Let's not just think of of ourselves as people with all these different disabilities, but get together and share what we have in common and try to advance a cause. Because so many people with disabilities have been marginalized, um, some openly victimized, as we know, historically. Let's try to be more straightforward about disability, what it means, and work to be more inclusive in our approach. Yeah. This is something that's so just jarring for me. I had COVID back in January, and 
uh, for mm. the longest, I just had like dry mouth. But I do rem- remember reading stories. There was a writer that was part of the Writers Guild Association, a TV writer who ended mm. up taking her own life wow. because she yeah, never absolutely. got her smell and yeah. taste back. It had been over a year. Wow, I didn't even know yeah, that. Yeah, people so sad. complaining of ringing in their ears and horrible tremors. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's some very strange and apparently neurological um, responses to this disease. And, you know, I think one of the really interesting things, Ryan, is that we don't really know, if you think back, what kind of responses there have been to flus and other things. We know people have complained of chronic fatigue. Where did that come from? And there's a possibility that as we dig deeper into long COVID, we'll learn more about some of those other chronic illnesses. This is Shar Jassel, uh speaking. I'm Ryan's co-host. <laughs> um, hi. Hi, how are you? Fine, um, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, so I want to know what studies are being done. Like, what, how, do you know how they're determining whether or not people's symptoms or things that might develop are a direct mm-hmm. result of COVID? Mm-hmm. It seems like there's still so much medical mystery around what is what and people's symptoms. And even with long COVID, everything varies, yeah. it seems like person to person. So what's the determining factor versus like, you know, you, you just have something new like a new allergy or what have you develop in your body versus right. like this is a symptom, a function of COVID. Right. So that's a, a, a super, a very, very interesting question. And there's research happening on many levels. Um, on the sort of um, understanding the epi- epidemiology, the whole picture of this disease is a very big long-term project that the National Institute of Health has embarked on just over a year ago. Um, it's got more than a billion dollars going into that. And that's really a data-driven big picture um, study. And then at the same time, there are many, many, many people from patient-led research groups um, to places like Yale and the Mayo Clinic, which are doing more um, clinical studies. So looking more directly at the impact um, of individuals. There's, as I said, some out of Yale, there are some out of the Mayo Clinic. Um, I can think of some, I mean, an awful lot of studies going on, yeah. um, Mount Sinai in New York. So there's a lot of work happening in, in these different areas. And of course, people are sharing data. So I think one of the hugely frustrating things for people is that you don't get instant answers. And mm. one of the very difficult things for people underst- to understand is that, you know, medical trials are an ongoing process. You don't get an, an immediate answer. You, you, you accumulate knowledge and yet people are suffering. So uh, again, an encouraging thing, and it's very hard to say this when some people are suffering so acutely, is that we have a new disease now, and that's an opportunity to learn about so many other potential um, sequelae or follow-ups from other viruses that may have caused similar problems. Yeah, and I... I so it's a... Oh, sorry. I just, I can't help but think about some of the the, the, the frustrations like you're mentioning that a lot of people who mm. have been dealing with long COVID since the beginning, and even those people the, like that, you know, that are affected, that are people of color and a part of other mm. marginalized groups. Moving forward, right. how should we be discussing or advocating for these people that are dealing with this? So as a journalist, I'm not an advocate, except that I write about things, so it's not my job. You will see there are many... Uh, large uh, groups, Survivor Corps is one of them, patient-led is another, an excellent one, patient-led, who are gathering data and um, advancing these causes. I don't think you can underestimate what it means like uh, when, a, when a senator like Tim Kaine comes forward, and I interviewed him not very long ago, and he talked about his realization 
that he is a white man in a position of prominence and he had these ongoing symptoms of tingling in his fingers and hands, I believe. Um, And he decided it was his responsibility to speak up because he realized that so many people who had less prominent voices than he did were not getting listened to. And, uh, you know, it it takes people like that who are in a position of power um, to draw attention when other people, I think, have felt disbelieved or ignored. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this brilliant conversation. Your article was so detailed and you really actually spoke to folks who are dealing with these issues. So thank you so much for just joining us and breaking everything down further. This was a senior writer, Francis Steed Stellers from The Washington Post. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, well, coming up next, we have Dr. James Simmons. We're continuing on with our kind of medical segments here. Joining us to discuss how cancer patients have entered into remission after a new drug trial. This is like a major uh, like development from this study. So don't go anywhere. We have more show coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. All right, we are back in. Oh, my God, this is some good news just dropped. Um, yesterday in a new article that said a recent drug trial administered to a handful of case, uh, cancer patients had the surprising results of eliminating the disease in every participant involved. This study was conducted on 18 rectal uh, cancer patients and had a 100% success rate according to a paper published uh, Sunday in the New York England uh, Journal of Medicine. We had to bring back Dr. James Simmons Ask the NP to break this news down. Have, have we fit like basically hit like a medical win here? It feels like we have. Dr. James, thanks so much for being back on the show. Thank you for having me. And it, it does feel like a win, doesn't it? Man, I feel like we need a win in the world right now, and we will take this one. Um, but there, it does come with a couple of caveats. So, you know, like you mentioned, Ryan, this was done in just 18 patients with a very specific type of locally advanced rectal cancer. So I drill down on that a little bit because I think it really is important for everyone to remember, you know, TikTok has been going wild over this for a couple of days and basically people have been like, we've cured cancer. And we we have not cured cancer. We are a very long way from that, unfortunately. But the really good news of this and the hope in this is that this is a type of therapy we have used before in other cancers, but not necessarily in this type of rectal cancer and not this early. And so what drug makers and researchers, these uh, awesome folks out of Memorial Sloan Kettering uh, Cancer Center, what they have done is taken this sort of therapy that we have um, and they call it a checkpoint therapy. And essentially all it does is it shows your body which cells are cancer and which cells are not. And then your natural immune system goes in and attacks those cancer cells. And in these 18 people with this very specific sort of subderivative of rectal cancer, so far, some of them between six and 25 months later are still cancer free. The body is just so wondrous just to know that your cells are smart enough to go and attack other cells. Like, as I'm listening you to like somebody, I tell Because the porch, as I'm listening, to, lemonade, the body is just so wondrous. It is. It's so smart. That is so wild to me. I was just listening to you talk, Dr. James. But I do want to know what are some of the side effects? If this is not like full on chemo, what bubbles up for this? Are people just taking a pill in a way that I take a supplement every morning and then just eliminating cancer? Like, what did this study show? Or are they having morning sickness or some of the 
or, or body aches, some of the traditional, you know, chemo symptoms that, that come. And those chemo symptoms can be really intense for a lot of people. In fact, so bad that a lot of people will tell you that chemotherapy is sometimes worse than the cancer itself, at least yeah. in their symptoms and how they feel. It's really, it's really rough. So excellent question, Char. You know, um, the, one of the other amazing things about these 18 folks was that they had absolutely no side effects. It's really pretty oh. crazy. So, uh, you know, I, I, that is really, really, really encouraging. But I do feel like I have, it would be, you know, I, I need to be very responsible about this and, that, uh, you know, understanding that this was an incredibly, incredibly expensive treatment. It was $11,000 per dose per person. Wow. And you, they were given doses once every three weeks for six months. And so this is something that is still done at like a chemo facility, right? So people would go in, they would have this dosed through their IV, they would get the infusion once every three weeks. Big, big, big time money with this, you know, involved, of course, but it's only in 18 people. So we absolutely have to replicate this. We have to do this in much larger groups of people with this type of rectal cancer and with other types of cancers. So we still have a long, long way to go to understand if this specific therapy is going to yeah. work on other cancers, but it, it is still very, very exciting. And do we know if there's a possibility that it could come back? As of now... The person who, the, the people in the study, all 18 of them are still cancer-free at this point. Wow. Uh, a couple of the people are now more than two years removed from their very last dose, and they still do not have any cancer detectable by physical exam, PET scan, MRI, none of that. So, wow. you know, how, how, how will this go down the road? You know, are they going to be cancer-free in 10 years? God, we hope, right? But, you know, time still remains to See, be seen. I always hate when like and I mean this is such a great thing but I always hate when like the like so on the media or the article picks it up and like it seems like this is like a huge thing but it's uh -huh. like there's the fine print here that that means guess what it's very expensive and it's going to be really hard to replicate and not everyone's going to do it but like you just come out with oh people are cancer free they got to get their ad revenue and yeah, them clicks in but baby it's so dangerous I just wonder what you think about that when we're seeing these moments being reported yeah, I, I get really, really nervous and itchy because you have people and look, I am not an oncologist, which is a, like a cancer specialist. I'm like an internal medicine, like a generalist dude. But through all of my training and expertise and research and whatever, part of my job is being able to interpret research studies like this and then regurgitate it in a way that's understandable to everybody. Right. Like that's that's one of my gifts to the world. And Unfortunately, what happens is you get a lot of people who don't have that gift or don't have that training. And so non-medical, non-research, non-public health, non-oncology people on TikTok, you literally have just like TikTok influencers sitting down and saying, we've cured cancer. And I cannot tell you how many people have forwarded me a bunch of different TikTok videos with people yeah. talking about this medication and the people are getting it completely wrong. So yeah. just like everything, like we always talk about, everybody pause. Always have some hope with these things, but also do your due diligence mm -hmm. and do your research because there's always a fine line, like you said, Ryan. Read the fine print. Dr. James Simmons, thank you so much for being on the show. We really, really appreciate you. Always uh, hope to have you back very, very soon, which we probably will, like tomorrow. Like, I have a story that <laughs> I need you to cover. <laughs> this is your warning now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right, coming up next. Oh, my God. Char, a woman woke up from a five-month coma to learn that her fiance moved on. Our thoughts on that yeah. up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, so let's talk about 
<laughs> another reason why we can't trust men. <laughs> men. Oh, I thought you said pink for some reason. I was going to say, what is she? Now, what did Alicia do? <laughs> Not my trapeze sister. Um, no, seriously, this is such an interesting story, and I, I saved it just to talk to you, uh, talk to you about it because Brie Duvall, she was at 25. She fell from uh, the top of a 33 uh, foot wall near oh a gosh. rooftop bar, landing head first on the concrete below. Okay, I'm cringing. Seriously, she suffered two brain bleeds, a broken back, ribs, and teeth, and was placed on life support and induced a coma, unable to breathe on her own. She suffered post-traumatic amnesia and was unable to remember things when she woke from the coma five months later. But three months after walking, it all started to come back to her, including the fact that her fiancé of four years had never come to visit her at all. She said, there has been zero contact. I have been blocked on every single platform, including his phone. And not only did he ghost her, he had already moved in with someone else. And the reason she knows this is because the new girlfriend was the only one to reach out. Okay. Please, let's talk about it. The Lifetime Movie Network in me (laughs) is saying that he's responsible for this girl falling. She don't remember that he pushed her off the top Literally, of the were Because <laughs> one plus how one, did she get there? One plus one isn't equaling two in this case. Why would you, why would he block her? I thought this was just like gonna be a general like a man being a man moving on. You no, know, women her. can't have no type of hiccups because men be ready to move on. And I think about <laughs> how men go to jail. When men go to prison to go to the slammer, women are typically there for years, put their dating lives on hold for years, waiting for their king to come out of jail. But my thing is, but it was five the new years. Black. It was five years. Also, what's the hold up with that? There's no way that you're proposing to me and we're fiancés for four or five years. Hell no. Yeah, I mean like... Hell no. Were we expecting him to stay, stick around that long? Seriously? I don't know if I would. I think he was cheating the whole time. Not to put... I'm sorry, uh, Brie. <laughs> Is that just you hating men? No, Brie, if you're listening, <laughs> I don't I don't want to be planting no seeds in your head. But what's the holdup? Why is there four years of an engagement? What is the holdup? And then on top Maybe of that... Maybe he just didn't know how to like break it off. No. Like, it's sad. Like, that whole thing is like sad knowing that the fact that she's stuck in the like in a coma. Yes. He's probably like, it took him a minute to move on. It did not take him a minute to move on. I it mean, appears as if it was four years. Why block her? Let's unpack because that. Because you have to you have to let go. You can let go, and but maybe why he block didn't, her? Maybe he didn't think she was ever going to wake back up. There's no compassion in that. What? There's no compa- He was being trifling and dirty and nasty. <laughs> There's I no humanity in that. I want to I want to give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because it's like unrealistic to expect him to just stick to around. To live his life on pause to yeah. an ex- to an extent, but it seems like she fell Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty <laughs> had a great fall, okay? And they once they put Humpty Dumpty back together <laughs> oh, again, uh, he was gone. As soon as Humpty Dumpty was in midair falling, it oh, seemed like he'd wow. moved on to the next girl. So I, I don't trust that. And there's no need to block her. There's no need to block her. There's no need to block Especially her. Especially if you don't yeah, think she's right. ever going to wake up. It's weird. I want to know what communication but, was with with her family. Like, did he talk to her mother or father? Like, did she just fall, go down to the to the Mount Sinai Hospital, and he just went, you know, on to the club? 
Yeah, I mean, she did say that the ghosting impacted her trust. And yeah, she said thanks. not just in romantic relationships, but with relationships in general. It has led me to have such a distrust in people, especially people I'm close with. Oh I mean, God. like, but that's also unrealistic. No, I could I could. It's imagine like four that. or five years. What was she expecting? Wait, she was in the coma for how long? Four years. No. Oh, no, she wasn't. No, she wasn't. They how were long in, was the They coma? were engaged. Get on the mic, Shelby. This You're a fact checker. Uh, five they months. Were oh, five months is They were engaged long. for four, four years. years. Oh, okay. Yes. And That's and not pretty long. He couldn't months. wait. He couldn't even wait five half of a calendar year for someone he's been engaged to for four years. Five, Get out of here. I don't know. Five Get months is kind of long, though. Get out of here. What if you think, what, you don't think she's ever coming back from that? You can even wait six months. Uh, putting your life on pause for that? If you're engaged to someone for four years, I that means know. that this ain't no new relationship. Yeah, that's exactly. true. That's true. There's love there. You waited uh, four years before you walked down know. the aisle and got the marital benefits. I just don't think it's realistic. No. To I, have Ryan, him if you wait. Were, if you were engaged to someone and and they were in the hospital and in a vegetative state for five months, you couldn't you could you wouldn't wait for them. That is such you a would long be back time. Down the, you, five months is not a long time, uh, Ryan. If you're engaged for four years, expecting to be together for the rest of your life. Come on, Shelby. Not necessarily. People don't get engaged expecting to be with that person for the rest of their life. Oh, don't play in my face then. That's true. Because it's till death do us part. That's very rigid. That's very rigid. It's not always like that. So you said people out here proposing to get married. And not expecting to. Yes, for sure. Have oh, you no. not watched any dating show that Excuse like me. where people Mar- marriage and divorce both are far too expensive? Those are legal mm-hmm. binding contracts. For That's you why not, they were just engaged. For you, for you who not, said they were going to even plan on getting for married you anytime not soon? To approach me with the thought of through sickness, through health, until death do us part. Don't play in my face. You find somebody else's face to play in. <laughs> if you plan on divorcing me at, at seventy-two. Oh God, we gotta go. But let us know. LGT show everywhere. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. All right, we are back, and I am really enjoying today's show. If I, you know, if I can say so myself, I always do. It's cute. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my blood is still boiling about that that couple. It's true. I still feel that way. Okay, let's talk about what's coming up this hour. We're talking long-term relationships, and what are some myths about them that are damaging your love life? How we view long-term relationships, guess what? They're damaging us. They are. And we're going to talk about it. Yep, they are. And there's this weird cleanse that Kourtney Kardashian and Travis uh, Barker have decided to do. I've done this cleanse before. By choice? Yeah. Or just because it was a lack of... I, I did this cleanse when I was like 18. If we're talking about the same cleanse. I don't know if we I are. Did. I, I did. Know. Producer Shelby, she's getting the kick <laughs> she out of it over here giggling. I did do this cleanse when I was 18. Did you read it? Are you aware of what cleanse we're talking about? Uh-huh. Oh. Well, we're going to find I, out. Yeah, this will be a fun section. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get into uh, top of the hour news um, so we can get to the tea report with Char. Um, so, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she thinks the only way to protect students from mass shootings is by having good guys with guns in school. Here's what she had to say. We know that a gun is a tool and it's a weapon that can be used to defend yourself or defend others. And we're all lucky enough to have that privilege, but our school children aren't. 
If we really want to be serious about protecting our kids here in America, we'll repeal the Gun-Free School Zones Act, and we will put into action real legislation that protects children everywhere, all over America in school, with good guys with guns, the same way we're being protected. So what defines a good guy with a gun? I don't know, because there were plenty of good guys with guns down at Uvalde, and they did nothing. Did nothing. Actually, uh, some of them actually ran in and took their own kids out. And did nothing. And held down and tased some of the parents who were trying to get in, actually. And threatened ICE. Yeah. They called down the (laughs) ICE people. They did. They had ICE people right outside of that Uvalde uh, elementary school. They sure did. Intimidating parents. That is actually what happened, yes. But I I saw a tweet that was like, if if police are scared to go after these ar (laughs) 15s What makes you think Miss Louise, the lunch lady, and Nurse Carolyn down at the principal's office are going to be able to defend these kids? It's nonsensical, and it's stupid, and it's gaslighting, and Marjorie knows exactly what she's doing. I think next they're going to, like, make every teacher become, like, one of those parents from Spy Kids and have, like, super spy training. But teachers are And they're all undercover, and you won't know until something pops up. Teachers are literally like, now why am I in it? And someone (laughs) asked a a good question on Twitter, because I know we have to move on. What then does that look like for teachers who are not white? When the when the guns come out to defend the students, but the p- police enter looking for the active shooter. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Miss Jenkins is over there with her AR-15, <laughs> and y'all, you know, knocking out Miss Letitia Jenkins because you see a woman of color with a gun protecting her class, protecting Room Four, and you looking for somebody uh, that's threatening the school. But shout out to all the Miss Jenkins out there. I, I had to pick a real black name <laughs> to prove my point, to drive my point home, or Mr. Hernandez, the PE teacher. <laughs> Got his gun, and now yet the police come in and I'm take just him out. Turn her mic off on the count of three. I'm just saying, this is upsetting me. It really is because okay. people are—they're sounding nonsensical. Okay, so um, on to our next headline: The Mint's American Women uh, Woman Quarters Program has released the next quarter honoring trailblazing women, American women, paying tribute to the first woman elected Principal Chief of the Cherokee Nation and the first woman to lead a major Native American nation in the U.S. Uh, they're honoring Wilma Mankiller. Uh, wow, that's cool. What a name. I know, right? I, had a, I, I went to... Uh, I, know, I know that name did something for <laughs> I went to college in undergrad. With and, the man killer? No, no, no. I went to college in undergrad. Uh, I mean, I said I went to college in undergrad. I went in Oklahoma, and one of my professors in the journalism program was named Miss Walking Stick. She was Native American. Oh, wow. Shout out to Janice Walking Stick. She used to be on the news down there. That's kind of iconic. Okay, well, it's your turn. Let's get into some T-R-Ports. Oh, gosh. I just got a pop-up blocker. Uh, but I can tell you all off the top of my head. So it's no secret that, and just like that, the Sex and the City spinoff has been renewed for season two. And you know what? I don't know if we're getting more Che Diaz, the icon. But I do know, according to the show's creator, his name is Michael Patrick King. Yes. Samantha is making a return. Which is wild to hear. And especially after, um, what? oh my God, Sarah Jessica Parker just did a Hollywood Reporter interview saying that no, no, she no, will no. never hold be on, back hold on. on. Hold on, hold on. Because we don't know at what capacity oh. Samantha is returning. So I, t- I text my friend Denver, because Denver and I did a Twitter Spaces after show every week for, and just like that season one, and Denver said that it's going to be via Memoji on FaceTime and someone's going to be imitating Samantha's voice on the other side of the FaceTime. Um, or I maybe there will not. be a new actress. Who's who's to say? Um, but there's no... He said so like Samantha, an Viv switch? He said Samantha will be back. He never said Kim Cattrall will be back because he's had some spicy language for her in the press too. So who's to say? 
God willing, the stars will align and Kim Cattrall will reprise her role as Samantha, the iconic I'm Dating a Man with the Funkiest Tasting Spunk, Samantha Jones, on Sex and the City spinoff. And just like that. Oh my gosh. Well, get rid of it. I think I'm just going to sit with it. We'll find out later. We'll okay, deal with that's the, the T-Report for this hour. You want to stick around because coming up next hour, find out who's scheduled or slated to play Madonna in the upcoming biopic, honey. All right. Well, up next, what long-term relationship myths that can damage your love life? I mean, seriously, there are some myths, and um, they may be messing you up, including you, Char Jassel. Up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Interviews. So let's talk about let's talk about long-term relationships miss, right? Because I didn't realize this, but I guess the way people view long-term relationships, it can really damage their love lives, especially when it comes to a long-term relationship. It's not everyone's goal or preference, and it really doesn't have to be. But if you are in a long-term relationship or contemplating being in one, it can be helpful to have realistic expectations and dispel some of the myths about them. So I wonder, what our thoughts about long-term relationships are. And I don't know if producer Shelby wants to hop on the mic, um, but Shar, what is your relationship with long-term relationships? Are you an LTR girl? I am. I am not an LDR girl, but I'm an LTR What's girl. What's an LDR girl? Long-distance relationship. Okay. I'm not interested in that. Okay. Um, but I do love long-term relationships. I've done, I've done long-term relationships my entire dating history yeah um even when it comes down to something you know like a a, a fwb it's long term i i don't for example i didn't have a lot of one night stands typically something Uh might have started out as a one night stand but then it turned into a two night a three night a four (laughs) night a five night and now it's you know twice a week on tuesdays and thursdays but at 11 a.m so that's what i mean I, i i very rarely had instances where it was like oh i took the bartender home and that's it it was like no you know he came back and then I went over there then you know so I I am a fan of them but what I will say is as I've grown and as I've matured and as I've looked to my left and my right because I have friends in long term relationships I realized how much of media and TV and movies influence what, what I think it should look like versus what they just really are yeah, because it's like that happily ever after narrative, yeah. right? Okay, producer Shelby, what is your thoughts around kind of like LTRs? I am all for them. I am sort of the person where I'm like, why would I want to waste my time knowing that it won't be worthwhile? Like, you might have a good time with someone for a short period of time, but then, like, I don't know. I'm a, I feel like when it comes to an end, it's like, okay, that was a waste when I could have yeah. been looking for someone who I could be with for longer, who could be that, like, the end game type person. Um, But I think this article makes a really good point that... um, We haven't got there yet. uh, Do you Uh, want me to? uh, Uh, I'm running this show. (laughs) No, because here's the thing. I I used to be an LTR person. My longest relationship was about, like, almost five years. Mm -hmm. And for me, that, that was a lot. Um, now, when I think about getting back into another relationship, whenever it happens, the, talk, the clock is ticking. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not sure because I'm wondering, I, I feel like my life has shifted so much in the sense of like, is long-term relationship mean that I want to get married? 
Does long-term relationship mean that I just want to be with someone for, I mean, like a partnership for a long time? You set those rules. Mm -hmm. You could be Samuel L. Jackson and Latonya Richardson, or you could be Oprah instead. But I think (laughs) think society thinks about it as like long-term relationship has an end goal, which is marriage. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like the first myth. This, which is also very interesting. We can get into this. A long-term relationship should be easy. Does anyone actually think that? I do. I really? Do. And I think that they can be easy. Mm. I think that it takes an equal amount of effort. Things, challenges come. But if you are equally as invested in making this thing run as smoothly as I am, then that comes with that vulnerability, that transparency, and those hard conversations. And to me, that will then determine how easy or how not so easy the relationship will go. Because problems arise when people aren't willing to be vulnerable or don't know how to adequately communicate or don't know their partner's love language. And so that's just... But that's not always easy to find out. It's mm-hmm. not, but that's why I'm saying if the effort and the and the intention is matched, we can get there sooner than if it's not. Interesting. Okay, the next one is Oh, okay. Now, this well, I'm going to skip down some because this one's very interesting. You won't be tempted, which I think leads into what we've been seeing a lot of times is this mm. idea that leads to being in an open relationship, right? You mm-hmm. won't be tempted, you know? Like you're you have those blinders on. I only see you, babes. Yeah, that's, that's unrealistic. Yeah, that's definitely That is unrealistic. That is definitely, I agree. That's that why for me, I've even thought about, and it's so wild. I feel like I had to be, and I don't know if this is toxic, but I had to, I feel like I had to be like cheated on to come up with an idea. Well, not an idea, but uh, to make up my mind in the, in, in the sense of like, I wish I would have been able to have the, um, the, the, the opportunity to make a decision if I wanted to be open or not to for us to go mess with someone mm-hmm. instead of just having someone take that right from me and just go cheat on me and lie mm-hmm. lie well, about it. What we can't take away from is conversations that couples are having about being open. I feel are relatively new within the mainstream. A lot of the times, like even so much as ten years ago, people would just cheat. You wouldn't dare think to go to your partner and be like, "Can we open I this?" I feel like thing queer up? folks have always led into the idea of open relationships. I mean, yes, I think now mainstream, it's like it's becoming a mainstream thing. But I feel like it's always been a part of the DNA. Shelby, what do you think? Uh, I am super new to the subject. I've never oh. known anyone i just recently met like the first person i ever knew that was in an open relationship because i'm so i'm a monogamous person so Mm -hmm. i never really thought of that as like an option for someone else and i i would push back against that based on my own personal experience i have seen like growing up i'm someone who used to sneak to north halston and belmont when i was 16 (laughs) but what i saw across street yes north halston and belmont (laughs) shout out to the 606 chicago but what i saw in in gay men and lesbian women i didn't really see a lot of trans people in relationships but what Mm. i saw was monogamy and i saw the occasional maybe threesome i wasn't seeing open relationships in that we're getting to know Mm. someone for dating purposes or for relationships like it was like okay it's it's the third Saturday of the month who we taking home type thing. <laughs> well, that's a tech... I mean, that depends on how people, what the boundaries are and the rules are set in that open relationship, right? Being a po- polyamorous means you you are interested in exploring multiple relationships with but folks in that way. But is a threesome considered an open relationship? I guess... Yeah, I, guess, I think it is. Well, you I think set those rules. Because that's what I'm saying. You, you said you can set those rules. rules. But in my world, in my brain, I think threesomes are most definitely that where you're bringing someone in or if you... like, you Even make, if it's just for sexual gratification? Yeah. It doesn't make it I don't a, need it to be romantic I don't want it to be romantic to be in an open relationship open relationship means for me just Mm -hmm. completely sexual 
Like, so really? we can go in and, and see my mind like, is the going to relationship. No, the mm-hmm. entire time for me, when I think of open relationship means you have an understanding that guess what? I don't want to have sex with the same person my entire life. And so I'm going to be able to have the open ability to have sex with other people. We have the same. We have rules and boundaries about that. And that's what an open relationship is. But y'all are y'all's home base. I'm, I am with you. I'm monogamous with this because things get sloppy. Yeah, because you can't dictate the other parties' feelings, emotions. Yes. Like things can get sloppy and a little catawampus. So you got to be careful with stuff. Like High that. expectations ruin long-term relationships. They do. Myth number six. I don't think so. Really? Yeah. Okay. What do you mean? Because I feel like you need to have expectations, like, and set in place what you want, so your partner's clear on that too. So. If you're both on the same page of what you're both expecting, then you can like work to make that happen. But with high expectations comes being rigid, which means you're not well, willing to like dis- shake disappointment. Up. Yeah. And it, I mean, it just doesn't feel it doesn't give you enough room to understand nuance. Our favorite N word. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nuance that kind of comes with a re- like a re- long term relationship, especially I, I, with, as people grow and change. Over I time. think with yeah. this particular myth, myth that you just read off. Uh, multiple truths can exist at one time with mm-hmm. this one because you mm-hmm. can set expectations. Like I expect my partner when I when I have a man, I expect him to honor the parameters of our relationship. That does not make me rigid. But if we are in a monogamous relationship, I expect that even with that temptation that we just talked about, that you will honor because because your you are tied to me, not the other person that you're tempted to. So mm-hmm. your responsibility is to me, and that's what I expect out of you. And going back to number three, as we wrap this up, long term relationships have to last forever. That is a myth. <laughs> well. Going back to what producer Shelby said, if I'm dating a guy or if skip dating, if we have if we have dated and we're in a relationship, I'm not in that relationship saying like, well, we got about two more years. Like there's no (laughs) deadline. There's no clock that's ticking down. I love you. Yeah, but to think that you're going to be with them forever is so unrealistic. I I don't think so. I don't think so. And forever is such a long time. Well, Uh, you don't know that. We could you could drop dead tomorrow. You don't know that. (laughs) Yeah. You don't know that. We cannot predict the future. But what I will say is I am not entering a relationship with someone at I'm 34. I'm not entering a relationship with a man saying, okay, well, I'm gonna get his six years. By 40, I'll start all over. This will be over. No, I'm looking forward to growing with you. That's the whole point for me. That's the whole point. And as relationships change, like you can also both come to the conclusion that like it's not working anymore and then you can still appreciate what you had but like you go I feel like you normally go into it thinking we're gonna see how long this so y'all don't want no prenups Oh, I'm getting that's, that sounds like that sounds like the same mind from of people who are anti prenup no, no, no. saying, "Oh, you're already signing your divorce away." No, no, no. Mm-hmm. I think that prenups are smart. Love is not logical, but the law is, and, ma- and marriage is a legally binding contract. All right, hit us up at LGT Show. <laughs> Let us know what your myths are when it comes to long term relationship. Now, up next, we got to talk about this weird sex cleanse that apparently Shar has done, um, <laughs> and maybe she learned it from Courtney Kardashian, Travis Parker. They learned it from me, Shar. <laughs> More coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Oh my goodness. So, sex cleanses. It's so interesting when we're talking about them. No caffeine, no alcohol, no sex, no exercise, no sugar. Those were the rules of Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker's customized detox routine. That so- sounds like Beyonce's routine for getting ready for Coachella. <laughs> Remember, no meat, no fish, no dairy, no fruit, no. Well, they open. They've been they've been very open about uh, their um, Courtney's IVF journey and noting that she's trying a new approach to expand the family. The pan choc 
Karma Cleanse. I have no clue what Sounds that delicious. is. But we are going to, we had to bring in our one and the only, our sex and relationships focused kink affirming therapist and award winning author of The Leather Couch and has a new book coming out July 29th on my birthday. And literally, that's how I remember it because it's my birthday. I'm a Leo. Dr. Stephanie Gorlick, thank you so much for being on the show. Hello, how are you? I am wondering what's going on in your mind when you hear about sex cleanses. Are these something that you actually recommend? So, the the short answer is no, but the longer answer is no, but sometimes I will recommend that my clients who are struggling with anxiety around sex um, or who have some other sort of emotional challenges that we're working through, I'll recommend that they abstain from penetrative sex and to focus on intimate touch, to focus on massage, on on cuddling, on petting. I don't use the term cleanse for this, though, because you can't really cleanse sex, and sex doesn't really cleanse anything. Cleanse is kind of um, an abstract concept, right? Um, But the idea of giving up specific forms of sexual intimacy in order to focus on other areas of our lives and relationships is absolutely a part of sex therapy. That sounds like some great advice because foreplay is, you got to have the foreplay. It's the biggest part of sex, in my opinion. Tell me more. In my opinion. I mean, (laughs) listen, you got to rev up the engine before you drive the car. This is not one of y'all little movies, you know. Ooh, well, we could talk about this later. But uh, oh my goodness! So I, I want to know beyond you know these rules that come with this cleanse. I know that one of the aspects that Courtney was recommended to do was to ingest to 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 drink a fluid, a bodily fluid that came from her man. No pun intended. What are your thoughts on this? Because this just sounds absurd to me, but I also don't know any of the science around fertility cleanses and sexual cleanses. All right. So, well, if we want to talk about the science of cleanses of any kind, that's a little bit different than what they're doing. Mm. Ayurveda comes out of Indian spiritual practice. Oh, like Kama Sutra. um, Same, same culture, same um, part of the world. Sometimes they're overlapping or or practiced conjointly. Um, But it's really a form of spiritual medicine more than it is sort of physiological medicine. If we talk to um, an MD, if we look at the scientific research, I mean, our livers, our kidneys, they're cleansing for us all the time. Whether it's for weight loss or sex or mental health, we don't really need to do an external detox or cleansing process. Our bodies if they're healthy, are doing that for us every day. So the idea of her, you know, ingesting may have some strong relational values, right? Yeah. You know, we it is a very intimate act. It can definitely increase their closeness. Mm. And when it couples feel closer emotionally that releases oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin yeah and i could see that in some way yeah contributing to physical health in a way that might make her more receptive to conception but i'm not a fertility doctor so i couldn't necessarily get into the nitty-gritties there Twitter wanted to know how much Travis paid the doctor to, to tell Courtney to, to do that. I just find when when we're talking about cleanses and, and like cleansing your body of certain things, it, I feel like it really walks this fine line of unhealthy practices for your body. And then also when you're tying it to the emotional ties of, mm-hmm. of sex, it just feels like 
there's there's multiple there's moments where that can get out of hand and you can kind of lose sight of what you're really I guess needing it for or doing it for how do what do you recommend to clients when they are trying to figure the, the that part out how to walk the line where they're doing it safely and they're doing it in a healthy way that won't impact them later in life yeah, so that's a big part of why I avoid using the term cleanse in my own practice. Ah. Because when we talk about a cleanse, that implies that there's something dirty that we need to get out, right? Like, you don't mm-hmm. cleanse something that's already clean. And in the world of nutrition and eating disorders, for example, there's this term orthorexia, which means really rigid, very ritualized, very precise eating. A lot of excluding bad foods, excluding bad carbs. There's a lot of that sort of value statement built into it. This idea of I'm avoiding bad things, and if I do, that makes me good or healthy. So I tend to not want to couple value judgments to my clients' bodies, whether that's nutritionally or sexually. So we'll talk about taking a break. We'll talk about finding other yeses, but I won't usually encourage them to do a cleanse because I don't want them to have this mental concept that there's something wrong, dirty, or bad about them that needs to come out in order for them to be healthy. Wow. Well, Dr. Stephanie Gorley, we really appreciate you for being on the show. We knew we could come straight to you to to figure out some of these. All right. Tell everybody when your book's coming out again, you know, give you the plug. It's July 29th, Kink Affirming Practice. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. Yes, that's it. Now, up next, actually, we're talking about a popular food brand that is releasing a scented nail polish. That actually sounds quite gross if you think about it. Oh, it's very gross. We're going to talk about it up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. If I had to have like a food scented nail polish, what food my mind be? went to like a Rice Krispie treat. I wouldn't mind marshmallow, mm. but on top of that, cheese scented just sounds just so gross. Like what what happens when you shower? Does it mix with your body wash? Yeah. What happens when you relieve yourself in the lavatory and you have to wash your hair? Like just smell like it's dairy. Just, why would you want cheese scented? Or even when you're eating something, you know, so much of our taste is informed by our smell. Yeah. So I, unless you have long COVID, uh, yeah, you, that is true. We talked about but that. But I think I think. It's 80% of our taste that's informed by our smell. You smell the food and that informs like your taste buds like, mm. Mm-hmm. So if, if I'm putting something up to my mouth and I'm smelling cheese but expecting a Krispy Kreme, mm. like, I don't know. This is disgusting though and this is clearly, I'm looking at this as a collector's that item. That would not help the nail biters, especially if they're like, you know, no, no, wanting... you have to keep in mind that nail polish is still a chemical, so it's going to be cheese scented, but not cheese flavored. Oh, true. Okay. <laughs> true. Okay, producer Shelby, what about you? Do you like this? You have a beautiful pink bubblegum yes. taste of um, <laughs> nail. As much as I love cheese, which you roasted me for eating cheese She yesterday. was eating a block of cheese, like a, Tom and Jerry. Oh, excuse me. Cheese. It was most definitely a block Excuse no. me. Tell Ryan what you had for dinner last night. What? what were you oh, nibbling on? I had a Korean corn dog. Um, but it's not is, a corn dog. It's not a, well, because I don't eat meat. So it's not a hot dog in the middle. It's just cheese. <laughs> so you're Girl, is it. your stomach but, okay? No. Um, <laughs> you don't want to hear the rest she of it. Said, she said no. <laughs> so There's you bite more. the corn dog, but it's just like cheese in there. And she and had to tell, tell them what was, it was loaded in. It was rolled in crinkle cut potatoes. Keep listening. 
Don't get embarrassed now. Stand firm in what you ate, Shelby. It was covered in nacho cheese. Uh And and what else? Sprinkled with hot Cheeto dust. (laughs) Hear me out. Hear me out. This is not something I eat often. Right. What? Where was this? A carnival? No, it was. They have spots now. It's really popular. It's like the hot chicken craze. Yeah, that seems like that would be at the L.A. Fair. Yeah, and they do like uh, they do it too, where they roll it in sugar, and it sounds interesting. I think it's really good in sugar, but the one I had yesterday didn't. I've seen it rolled in corn kernels. I've seen because I follow a lot of food blogs Mm -hmm. on Instagram. But when she told, I said, if I were to try this, I would have to have a portion. There's, I don't think I could eat that. that. Like I would try it though, but that is some 22 year old. It's like those encrusted, (laughs) flaming hot Cheeto burgers. Like back in like a couple years ago when they. Well, she's 22, so she has the system for that. My metabolism's good for now. You better be with all that damn dairy you're ingesting. If I was to do a scent on my nails, it would either have to be like a cinnamon or a vanilla. Ooh, for cinnamon. food, food related. Yeah, I love, yeah. I love yeah. everything cinnamon. Like, cinnamon is my favorite taste. Do you taste. like hot tamales? The candy? They're like oh, Mike and Ike's yeah. cousin. Those no. are like too See, I don't much. like cinnamon. I'm talking about when I'm thinking of cinnamon, That's I'm thinking of like brown sugar, candy. cinnamon. Mm-hmm. Well, brown like, sugar and cinnamon are two totally different know, spices. <laughs> those are two totally different spices and sensations. Mm-hmm. You're used to them being I, together. Yeah, I'm used to them being together. But separately, together. are you sure yes. you want cinnamon scented nails? <laughs> yes, I, I want, I want uh, fireball scented. Mm. Uh, <laughs> fireball scented nails. Okay, for sure. I, I'll close out by saying this. I I think this nail polish is a collector's item. I think people will it's buy it. It's $15. Just, yeah. and, and guess That's what? That's expensive for nail It'll polish. It'll be $15,000 on eBay in 10 years. Yeah, when the world goes to hell. <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. I like that Sophie Tucker song. It is called Summer in New York. I love me some Wait, Sophie Tucker. Wait, where do I know? Didn't Sophie perform it out loud last year? Last year they were a headliner. They sure were. I was going to say, I remember that name because I wasn't sure if they were from Drag Race. <laughs> No. Just based on the name, you know. Yeah. Okay. Welcome Dick to the Durbin, day, Sophie Tucker. Dick Durbin, Sophie Tucker. Certain yeah. names just remind me of certain spaces in the culture. I feel that. I see that. I get it. I see what you went there, there. You, you can know? believe what I feel. You know, I can believe what you're picking up. <laughs> um, but yes, we are here. And we have tons more that we're talking about. We're talking about yesterday's primaries and a recent breakthrough in cancer treatment. And of course, our yes queen. <sighs> I can't do the yes. Queen, like I normally could. You you were supposed to be on vocal rest two weeks ago. I actually was. And all you do is talk. <laughs> I actually was. Oh, wow. Well, let's get some top of the hour news, some headlines. Let's talk about this awful Christian hate pat preacher who was calling for the execution of every single homosexual. This is what he says. This is what God says. Oh, God. Gertrude Lawrence. Trigger warning. Yeah, trigger warning for sure. What does God say is the answer, is the solution for the homosexual in 2022 here in the New Testament, here in the book of Romans, that they are worthy of death? These people should be put to death. Every single homosexual in our country. Honestly, sis. We should mention that he goes on to say that uh, gay people should be killed execution style, lined up with by firing squad, essentially. And uh, this really, really pissed me off. I took to Twitter about this because I'm just like, I am gagging at someone in the pulpit openly advocating for genocide. Like genocide. But they know their audience. That's why I I don't even want to get into religion here. But, you know, that was very painful to hear. and, and, And Texas really needs to get it together. All right, so let's move on and and talk about the California's uh, primary election day. It was yesterday, but 
Unfortunately, early voter turnout has been low for this election and lower than expected. Um, so far, voter turnout for the 2022 primary election has been disappointing, both in person and for vote by mail. L.A. County primary elections tend to have fewer voters overall, but this number... Um, I guess according to like a political science professor at USC, she's saying that uh, the the low numbers this year aren't too surprising, but it still feels like we shouldn't be seeing that at this at this moment. I'm scared. People are losing faith in the American political system, which is totally understandable, by the way. Yeah, I can see why, you know. Statistically, the youth have always been kind of slow to the polls, but I could see why Gen Z is totally disillusioned with our current political system. Because for what? We yell each and every election cycle and what's changing? I mean, honestly, and that's that's been my thing when I I feel so conflicted when I'm like watching The View or something and Whoopi Goldberg is like preaching about Whoopi's also voting. 66 years old. I know, but like <laughs> I, I just am one of those, like I just sometimes feel myself like that is just not the only thing that yeah. can happen. Because even with voting, it takes a large group of people to elect the person that you need to yeah. do the right thing. But she also speaks to, you know, that generation. There were people who literally died for our right to vote. So I think oh, having yeah, a front row sure. seat to that for sure. is different from where we're coming from. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into some uh, tea report, huh? Can I be honest with you all? What? Julia Garner scares me. <laughs> It's just some, it is something about her that makes me uncomfortable and not in a Tilda Swinton way because <laughs> Tilda Swinton makes me uncomfortable, but I still hug her. Like, I'd still talk to her. Julia makes me want to walk in the opposite direction. But nevertheless... I am obsessed with her. I think she's so good at what she does. Julia Gardner, who I became familiar with in the Anna... What's the person's name? Anna Delvey. Yes. You didn't watch uh, Ozarks? No, I don't. I don't watch that. I just oh. knew Anna Delvey, but that's on Netflix. But she's the front runner to play the queen of hashtag Team Chappelle, Madonna, in the upcoming biopic. If you know that Chappelle reference, then you'll get it. Because Madonna, I'm still scratching my head at she says. Oh, I, I remember um, you just reminded me the reference. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I hope. I wonder if when Madonna called her son the N-word, if that'll be featured in the biopic. Wow. Nevertheless, okay. well, fans are one step closer to seeing their favorite queen of pop dramatized on the big screen. Julia Gardner has uh, reportedly officially been offered the role of Madonna in an upcoming Universal biopic. Now, what kind of throws me off about this is I knew that there were certain other people in the running. I wish I could remember Ale- their name. Alexa Demi from uh, She Plays and Euphoria. She's but there were other. She was supposed to be Madonna. There was also which is wild there was also a blonde girl who I saw in the. Oh my God! She was just in a Marvel movie, Black uh, Black Widow. She was like the spitting image of Madonna. She looked just like her. Yeah. Um, oh my God. I'm gonna find out right now. Well, Garner is 28, and she has materialized. Florence Pugh. Okay, maybe that's I don't know anybody's name, but uh, Madonna is 63. I should note. Is that her? Yeah, I think that's her. Florence Pugh. There's a few actresses that I saw, but listen, a different source claimed that the Inventing Anna actresses team is considering accepting the role, which I would wonder why is there hesitancy? Why would you consider, if you got the chance to play Madonna, sign on the dotted line and, and go ahead and do it? I mean, one, you would want, always, no matter what, you want the deal to be right, and you also want the movie to be right, because this could be an Oscar moment for, uh, well, for we her. Don't know. And she's already won an Emmy, I believe. She's pretty... I should mention Madonna is set to direct this feature, so we don't know how 
honest and Wait, true this will Madonna's be. Madonna's directing this? This is Universal Pictures doing uh, we, theaters. We can and, give up now. And Madonna is set to direct this. Um, but another insider dish to people on Tuesday that the Madonna Project is still actively in development and Julia Garner is a choice is the choice that uh, to play Madonna in the biopic. So there's conflicting reports, but it seems like it's happening. It seems like it's happening now. I just hope Julia she's able Fox, to be as cool as she need. Like she kept, like when Madonna was cool when she was growing up. You know, I just hope she can. Julia that. Fox, ex girlfriend of Kanye Omari West, Gross. whose birthday is today. Oh, is uh, reportedly Kanye or Julia? K- Kanye. Oh, it is. Yeah, wow. is also reportedly in talks to portray Madonna's longtime bestie Debbie. Mazar, I wonder who's going to play. What's the nurse's name who was in Pose? Who Madonna oh. used to be best friends with and got into. They got into, uh, some, oh, Sandra Bernhardt. Yes, yes, who's yes. going to play her? I didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, they were the, it was friends. nasty in the 90s. You got to look it up. Sandra's got a mouth on her. Yeah. Madonna couldn't keep up. Sandra is a reed queen. And they used to be best friends. And they had a, na- when I tell you, a nasty falling out. Oh, wow. But they were tearing Hollywood up together. But yeah, I guess we'll see. Variety's reporting things. The Hollywood Reporter is reporting things. And um, yeah, Florence Pugh, BB Rexa, Sky Fiorera. There's a few people, but are, will you be going to the theaters to see Madonna's Madge's biopic? Not if she's uh, directing it. I she can't see, even direct her life. Do you think that she'll switch up the accent? Remember when Madonna went overseas like Lindsay Lohan did? <laughs> and the, became the girls, a completely different person. The girls were over there for two weeks and then all of a, <laughs> all of a sudden doing interviews like this. I just don't know. Uh, around the corner. But they was over there for two weeks with accent. Uh, Producer Shelby, will you be going to go see Madonna's biopic? I feel like it's going to be very amusing. Uh, whether <laughs> I probably will go into it not taking it seriously. So yeah. I'll go into it with low expectations and maybe be pleasantly surprised. I just feel like when people direct their own biopics, yeah, no. it's going to be, be so yeah. one-sided. I can see if she was in the writer's room, but come on. Yeah. Just I just want to see her shade um, the moment in her life where she shades Lady Gaga oh. after feeling like she's being replaced. Anyway, up Next, the newest they breakthrough. They need to include Patty Lapone with Evita. <laughs> That's what I want to see. <laughs> the, new, the newest breakthrough in cancer treatment. We're going to vogue on out and celebrate this win for medical history. All right. Bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 